Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Several years ago, uh, it's been a little while, um, Steph and I, this December, we celebrate our 25th anniversary, which is really cool. And uh, so yeah, that's kind of a neat, neat moment. And see that, I do know that it's coming. So I know that it's not until December, but I, I realize this, right? This is a good moment. Um, we were dating, and, and I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, right? Countryside, right outside of Philadelphia. I was born in Africa, you all know that. And then we moved uh, back to kind of where my dad has been from, uh, the Philadelphia area. And, uh, and then we moved out to Reading, Pennsylvania. And one particular summer, I got to work uh, for a construction company and uh, worked with a group of Mennonite guys. Now, they, if you didn't know the difference, you'd have thought they were Amish because they didn't drive, they didn't have electricity. Uh, in fact, there were several different uh, differences between the Amish and the Mennonites, but one of the main ones is the men, uh, the Mennonite men, didn't have beers, whereas the Amish men had beers. That's the only way I knew how to tell them apart. You know, it was fun. They're great guys, hardworking guys. And um, so I would tell Stephanie about this because we were dating. And she, uh, one time, she was coming up to visit in Pennsylvania. I was so excited to have her and uh, to show her around uh, the area. It's beautiful. Lancaster County, Reading, all of those areas. If you've ever been up there, it's just beautiful, beautiful farmland. And Stephanie said to me, um, I want to see Amish land. And I said, well, great. That's cool. I wanted to drive you around anyway. We'll, we'll take a ride out, and I'll show you, you know, Amish land. And so we get in the car, and we're driving and driving and driving, and we get out into the beautiful countryside, and my wife suddenly uh, says to me, well, Eric, where's Amish land? And I said, well, it's here. It's, it's everywhere. We're in the middle of it. This is where the Amish live. This is where the Mennonites are. And I showed you a couple bucks. And she said, no, no, I, I thought Amish land was a place like an amusement park. My wife's not here today, I can tell you this one, okay? <laughs> I started laughing about how to wreck, you know? It's like, ah! <laughs> Sometimes we get places mixed up, right? Sometimes we, we call things things that they're really not supposed to be, and in our minds we get what, what they're supposed to be, and yet that's not the reality of what it truly is. When you came here today, where'd you come? Well, that's why you came, hopefully, Lord willing. You, you came into church. That's what we call it, isn't it? Is that correct? <laughs> well, this is a building, folks. Where's the church? Right here. I, I think it's amazing when you begin to ask people what church is. They kind of have that Amish land moment. Because they point to buildings, or they point to places, or they, what church do you go to? Where do you attend worship? Well, I go here, I go there, I go there. And it's a place. Folks, the church is an organism. It is not an organization. It is a people. It is not a place. And I think the ramifications for that are indescribable. We are the church. We're the body of Christ. And all the different factors that go along with that. 
We've been looking at uh, the seven pillars and just kind of a philosophy of ministry, if you want to put it that way, just a foundation of what it means to walk with the Lord. What does it mean to serve the Lord? How do we discern whether this service, this ministry, is really from the Lord, for the Lord ultimately, or being blessed by the Lord? How do we begin to make sure that we're on God's page on this? Because so often in our day and age, everything's about how we ought to fix it. We see problems and we immediately want to go fix it. And if I can remind you, if you've got a, a leak in the faucet, please, by all means, fix it. But what we're talking about is spiritual things. We're talking about things that only God knows how to fix. We're talking about how God's already at work and inviting us to join him, not how he's standing back with his arms folded to see how good we can do for him. We're talking about walking with God by faith, being persuaded that he is able We've looked at the fact that true ministry is initiated by God. God initiates true ministry. True service is initiated by him. We don't initiate it. In fact, Jesus himself said that there is absolutely nothing that he, has, that he did that he initiated. He, the words that he said he didn't even initiate. He received them from the Father and was empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the things that he did. You know, the only thing that he initiated, the only thing that the word of God says that Jesus initiated of himself was to lay down his life. That he did of his own accord. Nobody forced him to do that. He chose to walk in the plan that the Father had put together in order that mankind might be uh, forgiven, might receive forgiveness. What God initiates, God anoints, meaning he empowers it. He empowers us to walk with him and what he wants to do. When we serve the Lord and we're walking by faith and we're walking in what he has for us, then he begins to empower us, anointing us with his ability. It doesn't come from us. It's not because of how intelligent we are. It's not because of how many seminary degrees we may or may not have. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church or how many D groups you go to or how many K groups you attend. None of those things are the issue. The issue is are we following God, walking with him by his strength, by his strength. He's the one that anoints us. Ministry is received, not achieved. I don't know if, if I've gotten this across clearly, and I trust the Holy Spirit to do this in all of our lives, but I gotta tell you, that particular pillar floored me the first time I heard it, wiped me out. Because a lot of people can say, of course God initiates ministry, and of course he empowers us to do ministry. But when you talk about receiving the ministry, what we're talking about fundamentally is waiting on his timing. We may know what needs to be done, but waiting on the Lord to take the initiative, to take the lead, and to let us know when to step out in faith to follow him, that is life-altering. Because now the pressure isn't on us to try to achieve something, to get something taken care of. We just simply need to come before the Lord, actively engage with him on walking with him, following him, hearing from him, having our minds renewed by the word of God, etc. but walking with him and trusting him that he's got a plan that far supersedes anything we could ever come up with. True ministry is not the result of our efforts, 
And technically, it's of his surrender. It's our surrender to him, and he role modeled it for us. He went to the cross so that we could recognize what it means to die to self, to say yes to the Father. We can put all kinds of effort into something, and it has nothing to do with God's timing, God's leadership, and or faith. When we yield to the Lord, as Paul said, there's, there's plenty of work. There's a lot of effort that gets placed into ministry that is received, but we're being empowered by the Lord in order to accomplish it. And the difference is remarkable. God gets the glory for his ministry. If it's really from him and he's sustaining it, then who gets the glory for it? He does. We don't sit around and say, oh, look what we've done. Look how great we are. Look how great I am. We say, oh, my. Let me tell you about our great God. Let me tell you about my great Lord. He gets the glory. And glory is the true identity of who he really is. Every time we make the decision to walk in his love, every time we make the decision to follow him and walk by faith, every time we walk in truth, we're giving glory to God. Because people get to see us and they get a right picture of who God really is. Because God begins to do an inward work in us and then through us begins to reveal who he really is. Well, the sixth pillar is the church is an organism, not an organization. We're an organized organism, or we should be. God's not the author of chaos, amen? Uh, I mean, the Lord is organized in what he does. Look at nature, look at trees, look at flowers. I'm watching trees begin to bloom in my backyard, and I'm so grateful because I thought they were dead because I planted them, you know? <laughs> the Lord, when he does things, does things right. And he does them in an organized way. So we're an organized organism as we yield to the Lord, as we say yes to him. Let's look at a few of these thoughts. Alan Hirsch wrote a book called The Forgotten Ways. And I was listening to him speak several years ago. Uh, saved, he was a missionary for years, and he was talking about the body of Christ and the church and the functioning of the church and the organism that is the church. And he said this, one of the greatest mistakes we've made is calling the building the church. Wayne, my father-in-law, said, we're living in a day when, oddly enough, we have to define what we mean when we say church. Most people have the mistaken idea that the church is a place. Now, that sounds fundamental. That sounds simplistic. But the reality of it, it that, that's profound. Do you realize that when you leave here today, you're going out amongst the community, into the midst of the community, and you are, we are the body of Christ? All that we do speaks of the Father. And unfortunately, it can be negatively. The question is, how are we walking as a body of believers where we're yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God is being revealed through us as we move in the midst of the arena, the circumstances, the environments that God has called us into? Whether it's in our families, whether it's in our communities, whether it's at our work, wherever it may be, as the body of Christ, as the living people of God, 
do we appear as light in this world? Do people recognize that God lives in us? And they begin to glorify the Lord because of the good works they see us yielding to the Lord in the midst of when it comes to our lives. Every organization has some common factors, and you can, you can see this. I mean, it's pretty obvious in some ways. There's structure or process. How do you go about doing things? There's a structure to it. There's processes to make sure everybody's following what it is that's supposed to be done and getting done what is necessary, all those kind of things. There's purpose or motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? <laughs> I mean, you know, I think Apple has reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Right? Microsoft has reasons why they're doing what they're doing. There, there's an organizational purpose to this. Right? There are goals. What are we trying to get done and by when? Clearly, that takes place. There's leaders. There's a leadership culture. There's culture itself. The people that are part of an organization share certain beliefs and values, which is pretty fascinating. There are skills that are necessary in order to accomplish whatever the goals and whatever the organization's trying to get done. Well, the church is, is very similar to that. Certainly, we have structure or process. The Lord's the head. We're the body of Christ. There are uh, leaders in terms of elders and pastors and shepherds within the flock. There are deacons who help with the service. There are teachers, and there's other different areas of leadership within the body of Christ. The purpose and our motive is for the glory of God. It's pretty simple in that sense. We, we want to do all that we do for the glory of God, period. We want people, when they see us, to recognize him, no matter what it is that we're doing, whether it's teaching here, whether it's taking care of the kids, whether it's uh, helping with the student ministry, whether it's working in the missions department, wh wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we want to see God glorified. We want to bring him glory through our attitudes and our actions, and it takes God in us to actually accomplish that. There's a culture, there should be, there's shared beliefs and values. And we, we talk about knowing Christ and following him. We talk about presenting the Lord to each and every person so that they can know him, that they can learn to follow him, to walk by faith. We want to see a culture, an environment cultivated where lives are being transformed and people get to know God and they, they begin to understand what it means to walk by faith and they have a personal relationship with the Lord and in the midst of that, they're growing in Christ. All of us are in process. <laughs> Is there anybody that's arrived? Raise your hand. There you go. Right? Nobody's arrived. We arrive when we see Jesus face to face. First John 3, 1 through 3. And we'll see him and we'll be changed to be like him. We're all in process, folks. So how are we growing in Christ? How are we encouraging one another in the midst of that? 
skills. Well, you know what? In the midst of that, there's talents. Yes, God's created us uniquely, but there's also a thing called spiritual gifts, right? Spiritual gifts. God ordained ways that he wants to reveal himself through us. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. The church is not a building. It's not a place. It's the people who've received Christ into their hearts by faith. Think about that. Everywhere we go, we are the church. Do you think that? Do you, do you realize that? It's convicting, isn't it? Because I, boy, I'll tell you what, when I get behind the wheel of a car, there are times where I don't look like the body of Christ. Now, y'all can laugh at me, but I know you too. Yeah. Because I've probably been in front of you. <laughs> Stephanie's always hitting me. She's like, that may be somebody that goes to Hoffman Town, cut it out. You know? She's not here. I can have fun with this today. Let me give you four things about the body of Christ, the church. First of all, we're the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Secondly, we're the body of Christ. We're also the people of God. And then there's, of course, the proclamation. We have a message. There's the proclamation of the church. What are we talking about when we deal with this? The bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 it's such a beautiful picture of this. And he's talking about marriage. He's talking about husbands and wives. He's not talking about uh, a man marrying a man. He's not talking about a wife marrying a wife. That is an abomination to God. Amen? <laughs> no question about it. But in verse 23, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now catch this, because the picture of marriage, the picture of a husband and a wife is actually a God-given picture to all of us, to society, about the Lord's relationship to the bride of Christ, which is us, the church. He says, the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, which means to submit willingly, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Now listen to this, because I want you to focus not so much on the husband here or even the wife. I want you to focus on what he's saying is the picture of husbands and wives regarding Christ and the church. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And what did he do for the church? He gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, the body of Christ, who he's the head of, should be holy and what? Blameless blameless, without spot, without blemish. You know, I, I don't know about you, but do you deal with insecurity? I know you do. <laughs> You're human. I'm human. We all deal with insecurity at some point in time in varying degrees. Understand something. 
When the Lord says that he loves us, that he gave himself up for us, that his desire is that we would be sanctified, that he wants to wash us through the word of God, that he wants to present us holy and blameless, we have an absolute secure relationship with the Lord. Our identity is secure in him. His love for us is unconditional. If I trip and I stumble, guess what? The Lord still loves me. If I mess up, guess what? The Lord still loves me. There's nothing I can do to make the Lord love me more, and there's nothing that I can do to make the Lord love me what? Less. That's called security, folks. I get to bask, walk in, enjoy the unconditional, undeserved, unearned love of my Lord. As the body of Christ, as the church, as the people of God, do we understand that? Are we growing in our understanding of that? Do we recognize how much the Lord loves us and that it is not based on what we do or don't do? It's based on what he has done, what he can do, and what he has declared because of who he is. That's the issue. How many times do we walk around as the body of Christ, as believers, as children of God, as members of the church, because God's declared this to be so, because we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're scared to death. We do what we do out of duty instead of out of love. When we trip and stumble, we go hide instead of running to him to be cleansed, to have our hands washed and our feet washed. We're the broad of Christ. Jesus loves us. In Revelation 19, there's a beautiful picture of this. Verses 7 through 8. It says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Are we walking with the Lord in such a way that we're growing in this beautiful, wonderful love relationship that he has provided for us, not because of anything that we've done or could do, but because of who he is? And are we growing in Christ in a way that the righteousness of God himself begins to be revealed through us, meaning the good works that are from God are being seen through us? So when people look at us, they don't say, oh, look at Eric. Fill in your name. But they say, oh, God is at work. God is at work. And they give God the glory for what they see him doing in us as well as through us. Well, we're also the body of Christ. The church is Christ's body, obviously, on earth. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, he put all things in subjection under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Or Colossians 1, where he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's 
affliction. There's no question, scripturally, biblically, that the church, the called out ones, that we are called the body of Christ. We are his body here on this earth. We are the representation of who he is. As we say yes to him, as we walk with him, as we grow in him, as he begins to transform us, as we're conformed uh, to his image, transformed to his image rather than conformed to this world. He's the head of the body. In other words, he's the leader. In other words, without him, we don't know where to go. We don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We have no idea what the plan ought to be. (laughs) We're walking around having no clue without him. Colossians 1.18, he says he is also head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Think about that. He's the head of the body. We talk about the Lord being our shepherd, right? We have elders. We have pastors. Why did the Lord have those positions installed within the body of Christ? Is it because we're the only ones that can hear from God? No, it's because we're supposed to make sure God is heard. That's the issue. There is one decision that we're interested in, (laughs) and it's the Lord's. That's it. Anytime we do anything, the first thing we ought to be asking ourselves is, Lord, what would you have in this? Where would you lead? Where would you guide? What's your solution to this issue? What is it that you want us to participate with you in? How do you want to be glorified in this? He's the head of the body. He leads us, guides us, sustains us. Well, the word, which is Christ, builds up the body. In Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, he says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So these individuals, these men, and I would suggest apostles and prophets in terms of the, the position is no longer in the New Testament church, but certainly evangelists, pastors, and teachers are. What are we to be about? We're to be helping build up the body of Christ. How? Through the proclamation, the teaching of the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that shepherds His people. It's the Word of God that grows us. It's the Word of God that sustains us. He's our head. He's our lead. And so as we get into the Word of God, our minds are renewed and we begin to learn to follow him and to walk with him. And in all the different variances of life represented here, the Lord Jesus Christ himself begins to lead you and guide you and direct you and sustain you as you say yes to him, walk with him by faith. And whatever the uniquenesses of your circumstances in the midst of it, you get to experience God as he begins to lead you as you're a part of the body of Christ, the church. We're the people of God. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and following, he brings this out very clearly, and it's a beautiful passage. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Right? Therefore. Why? Because of 
chapters 1 through 11, because of all that God has accomplished for us, providing us with the opportunity of believing in him and receiving from him salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation, and a new life. Now, because he's done all these things, what are we to be about? We are to be about presenting our bodies. That's in the aorist tense, simply means punctiliar completed action. And what he's saying is that every opportunity that is availed to each and every one of us in every moment of every day, that whatever takes place, we are to present ourselves to the Lord. Present. Right? Something takes place at work and it's unethical. Present. Present yourself. You get behind somebody going two miles an hour on Paseo, present. (laughs) That's the deal. Present yourselves. It's our spiritual service of worship. It's the most normal thing that we could do because of what God has done for us. In verse 2, he goes on. He says, don't be conformed to this world. It means don't be pressed into the mold of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we keep from being conformed to the world? We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. How does that take place? It all begins with the word of God. It's allowing God to change the way we think. And as a result, the way we live. Why? So that we may prove, that we may show forth what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you realize that every time we choose as the body of Christ, as individuals within the body of Christ, to say yes to the Lord, and we begin to walk in his ways, we begin to walk with him, that in every moment that that takes place, we are showing forth, we are proving what the will of God is to others around us, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Beautiful picture. They begin to realize God at work in us, his life being made manifest through us. In verse 3, he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think is to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He's allotted to each a measure of faith. That means each and every individual, each and every one of us that have yielded to Christ, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and are now part of the body of Christ, the church has been allotted a specific measure of faith. Well, in the context, what he's talking about is gifts. He's talking about the different gifts, the different variant gifts that are given to the body for the building up of the body, for the service or the ministry to the body, for the transformative reality of what God is doing in our lives so that God is seen, that God is recognized. We're given different gifts. We're given the ability to trust God in those gifts and serving the Lord with the gifts that he's given to us. And we are given those gifts and the ability to trust God in the midst of that in order to edify and build up the body of Christ. Verse 4, he says, Just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
Now, that's a beautiful picture. When you become a believer, when you come to Christ, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are then saved, you are immediately put into the body of Christ. You are immediately given at least one spiritual gift, which is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God himself in and through you. And as you yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and say yes to him, God will begin to lead you and to guide you in what it is that he wants you to do. But I love this picture. We are one body, but we are individually members of it. We don't lose the uniqueness of how God's created us to be. We are still individual members. Thank God for that. Right? I mean, what if everybody looked like me? That'd be bad. That wouldn't be good. What if everybody, every time we started to teach something, said, oh, Spiro says, y'all would faint. We are individual members of the body of Christ, and yet we are one body. We're unique. I look around and I see all the uniquenesses. As many as people are in here. Because God has called us into the body of Christ, the church, which he's the head of. And he begins to to give us the gifts that he desires for us to walk in the midst of. In other words, he begins to organize his body in such a way that we begin to see the hands. And we begin to see the feet. We begin to see the legs. We begin to see the arms, the shoulders, etc. He organizes the body the way that he knows that it needs to be organized because it's his body. In verse 6 and following, he gives us seven main categories of gifts, if you want to think of it this way. He says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, in other words, that he, he, here he's talking about preaching. He's talking about preaching, the preaching gift. If service in his serving... Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I think this is probably the purest list of the gifts in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, he lists gifts, but he's really correcting doctrine in the Corinthian church. Here, he is encouraging the Roman believers how to walk with the Lord. And he gives us this list of seven gifts or categories, all of them for the purpose of encouraging and building up one another in the body of Christ as we serve the Lord, as we say yes to him, as he begins to do a work in and through us. We are the people of God, and we are called to walk with the Lord. We're called to walk with him by faith. We're called to follow him. He's the head And as we follow him and as we yield to him, surrender to him, as we learn to die to self, then God begins to manifest himself through us. And all of a sudden, his love begins to permeate the entire body of Christ. And the body of Christ is built up. It is edified. It is encouraged. It is strengthened. And the world looks at the church and recognizes that we are one. We are individually members of the body. We are still unique, but they begin to praise God because of what they see happening, and they can't explain it other than it's got to be God. Lastly, the proclamation of the church. 
There's a lot of different ways to approach this. The message of God's grace, it's unique. Right? What separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? It is God's grace, period. And we've got to guard it and protect God's grace. We don't want to add works to it. We don't want to add merit to it. It is undeserved. It is unearned. And it could never be paid back. It is God's expression of the reality of who he is, doing something for us out of his motive of love purely and simply. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and following, Paul writes about himself, and he's talking to the Ephesian believers, writing to them, and he says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. I love that expression, that phrase. The unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that, for this purpose, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through what? Who? The church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Do you realize that when we begin to walk with the Lord and we begin to say yes to Christ, when we've been saved and when we begin to experience his life and his transforming ability, when we're not being conformed to the world but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds and as a result our actions and activities begin to reflect the beauty of Christ himself, that we as a body of believers, individually making up that body but as a body of believers, the church, begin to show forth the wisdom of God, not only into this world and our community, but even into the demonic arena. The light of the glory of Christ begins to shine through us. The truth and the reality of who he is and his love begins to be revealed into the world and even in to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Even the angels long to look into what it is that we've received and understand it more. What a beautiful truth. 2 Corinthians 3.2 says, You are our letter. Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers. He says, You are our letter, written in our hearts, now listen to this, known and read by all men. <laughs> do you think do you catch that when we get into the word of God and God begins to transform us we begin to, to realize how absolutely beloved of God we truly are we're the bride of Christ and God through us begins to reveal himself in such a way that literally we begin to be read by all men as if we were a letter to this world from Christ you want to know how you can have hope? Let me tell you about my Lord. Look at my life and see how hope begins to be revealed and expressed. You want to know what it is to be loved unconditionally, to be secure in that love? Watch in the midst of life how God in and through each and every one of us begins to be revealed and the world begins to read our lives like a letter from God through us to them. He can do this for me. He can do this for you. If I can have hope, 
you can have hope. If I can have security, you can have security. If I can know where I'm going when this life is over, friend, you can know where you're going because God said it, and that settles it. One last one, Acts 20, 24. It's become one of my favorite verses. When we were studying through Acts. I came on this and love this verse. Paul says this, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry, the service which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Wow, what a beautiful picture. Friends, do we, do we realize that we're part of the body of Christ, that Christ is our head? that we're called the bride of Christ, that he wants to present us as holy and blameless. When we begin to yield to the Lord, he begins to do a transformative work in us. When we get into the word of God, our mind is renewed, and then our actions begin to reveal that we are thinking vastly different than what we used to think. And in the midst of it, we give glory to God. In the midst of it, we have a walk with the Lord that people begin to recognize we can't take credit for. And we have the opportunity to share with them the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Are we proclaiming the gospel of grace? Not just with words, but with our lives. Do people see us in the way that we function, the way that we treat others, the way that God through us is kind, the way God through us is patient, the way God through us is loving and all the different aspects of who God is. And he begins to reveal himself through us and they begin to realize that it's not us, that it's God in us. And we have an opportunity to share with them the message of the church, which is the gospel of grace. We get to share with them about Christ himself. Are we doing that? Are we walking in that? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 